You're listening to a podcast from JNNP. Welcome to this JNNP podcast, which is coming from the BNPA meeting in London. My name is Chris Butler. I'm a neurologist um, interested in cognitive neurology and memory from the University of Oxford. And I'm speaking with Selma Eibach from Lausanne, Switzerland, who is presenting in this conference on the neural correlates of Freudian repression in conversion disorder. Thank you very much for coming along, Selma. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit, first of all, what conversion disorder is and what mechanisms of Freudian repression may be. So since the end of the 19th century, conversion disorder has been defined by the presence of a neurological disorder associated with a psych psychological stressor. And Freud argued that this psychological factor was the cause of the disease um, because the thought of a stressful event was converted into the physical symptom as a defense mechanism through repression. The repression itself, the process, is uh, supposedly a defense mechanism that makes the effect attached to a stressor uh, less painful. Okay. And the patients with whom you've been conducting your research have what sort of conversion disorder? What are their symptoms? So all of them had uh, some sort of motor or sensory deficits, such as uh, arm or limb uh, paralysis. And so what was the... Um overall goal of your research program? So the goal was to look at this conversion process itself because there has been extensive studies looking at the mechanisms of the physical symptoms on one hand and there has been also a lot of research on understanding uh, the suppression of unwanted memories and the repression process but no one looked at the conversion process itself. How does a psychological stressor uh, transform into a physical symptom? How very interesting. So how did you approach that question experimentally? Yeah, so we perform an fMRI study in a group of patients compared to a group of controls. And we identified stressors that were thought to play a relevant role in the disease by the fact that they had some escape component. They allowed the subjects to escape a psychologically stressful situation. So I can give an, an example maybe of an escape event. Uh, a spouse uh, announcing he or she's leaving could uh, be uh, such an escape event because then being ill could alter the consequences of this event by having the partner change his mind, for example. A non-escape event would be a spouse being rushed to hospital for a heart attack. There, being ill would have no impact on the event, as it wouldn't change the fact that the heart attack is happening. So we compared in the fMRI experiment those two conditions, the escape event compared to the severe event. Basically what we found was a network of activation uh, that has been shown previously in other studies to be involved in memory suppressions. So suggesting that those escape events are indeed repressed by uh, brain mechanisms in patients more than controls. So what were the brain networks that were uh, salient in your experiment in patients um, that were significantly different between the escape uh, versus the severe memories. So we found a significant increase in the left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and a concomitant decrease of left hippocampal activity. And that's this pattern that has been shown in the literature about uh, suppressing voluntary memories. 
So the idea is that there is an activation of the frontal cortex as a what subconscious mechanism of suppressing the conscious recollection of memories mediated through the hippocampus. Is that right? That is right in the sense that it represses the emotion content of the uh, memory because people were still able to uh, remember the event correctly but then they judged the event as being less upsetting than uh, the other event because we controlled for that as well. We asked the patient to rate how upsetting it was to remember the event and even though both events were equally severe patients reported the escape events to be not that upsetting after all. I see. And uh, you mentioned another group of network findings. That yes, exactly. Found. So this um, remembering the, uh, this repressed memory, the escape events, activated uh, in patients relative to controls that boast the uh, supplementary motor area, a region known to be involved in the control of voluntary movement, and the TAPEJ, the temporoparietal junction, a region known to be important for complex sensory integration. And what is important is that those two areas were activated, but our task was non-motor, our task was only an emotional task. So that suggests that this conversion process might be involved, that when remembering a stressful event that is repressed, some brain areas like the SMA and the TAPEJ uh, get involved as well, even though we didn't ask the patient to move or to do any sensory task. Did you manage to look at any patients who had recovered from their conversion disorder to see whether those networks subsequently normalized? No, all our patients in this experiment uh, were still symptomatic, so they, they, they had some sort of symptoms at time of scanning. So it would be interesting to, to look at how this changes. Indeed, and on, on that point, I, I wonder whether you could enlighten us a little more on the implications of your finding for understanding the mechanisms behind and perhaps the diagnosis and management of conversion disorders in the future. Yes, well, this issue of conversion process is important and timely because now, with the new DSM-5 coming up very soon, uh, the DSM-5 proposed to delete the requirement of a psychological stressor in the diagnostic criteria. So that is good for clinicians because they'll be able to make the diagnosis more easily. But our results still are important to show that psychological factors do play a role and that future research should still be carried on that direction in order to better understand this disease in the future. I see. Thank you very much indeed. Salma Ibeck from Lausanne. Thank you.